0: Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country crops far as I can see. The headlights on both
1: Welcome folks to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, Kayleen, happy Earth Day. It's, happy uh, Earth Day. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's uh, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Uh, it's a day to celebrate the Earth and and consider our stewardship of the planet, and it's kind of appropriate that it's a rainy day here in Dodge City in Ford County, right, Kayleen? Yeah. Do you remember things
2: starting to turn green around here, thankfully.
1: Oh, it feels good. Now we've had some cold freeze events that may have dinged the wheat just a little bit in areas. Um I haven't gotten out and, and walked some wheat fields, so we'll see how that how that turns out this week or so. But we've had some warnings from K-State Research and Extension that you know that might have some effect on the crop um, but that's typical for march april time frame those late freezes um you know spring freezes that'll that'll do that to the wheat um, wheat plants but earth day do you remember when we were kids and uh in the 90s and and earth day back then do you remember those times
2: yeah that was probably my first introduction to earth day
1: <laughs> you know mine too when we were in junior high we did a uh, we did the a uh, our our choral class. We did a, a, a musical theater production of some hokey dokey uh, Earth Day themed um, recycle this uh, program, and we we did it and and we went around to all the elementary schools. You know, and it was I don't know. I, I every time I think of Earth Day, I think of those hokey dokey um, t shirts that we wore and the uh, the songs that we sang about polystyrene do you remember polystyrene kayleen (laughs)
2: yeah
1: all of those (laughs) mcdonald's wrappers that were containers you know and not actual paper wrappers and that was going to be the death of the planet and and i just think back back then it was all recycle 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 and cleaning up parks and that sort of stuff um
2: and don't don't use too much aerosol hairspray because the ozone is gonna, the hole in the ozone is going to get bigger and
1: bigger, and bigger. <laughs> yeah somebody did not tell the 1980s and the 1990s to not use so much hairspray <laughs> <laughs> the hole in the ozone that was huge when we were kids i thought that was going to gobble up the whole planet you know um yeah an acid rain yeah those were the things that we were concerned about you know today's kids your kids what what do they know about earth day
2: Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> They're outside every day, and they there is nothing for them to be out outdoors doing something.
1: You know, I, I kind of uh, to get ready for the podcast. I looked up the history of Earth Day, and I didn't realize I knew that it kind of started back in in the seventies. It's specifically nineteen seventy. We had the Cuyahoga River in Ohio was on fire. Um, because of all the pollution that was dumped into that river and for a river to be on fire, that was kind of a wake up call for people to be like, you know, maybe we need to clean up our act. I mean, that was, that was a big thing. And then I didn't realize that there was an oil spill in Santa Barbara, California that spilled 3 million gallons of oil. It was an 800 square mile oil slick in the middle of, of the ocean there. It killed, you know, upwards of 10,000 sea creatures like dolphins and seals and sea lions that in 1970, those were big events. Those were things that were just, Hey, you know what? We need to clean up our act. And, and it started off that way. Hey, we need to have clean air we need to have clean water. Those are, those are valuable things and we shouldn't let polluters just go by the wayside. Um, and then I, I looked and you know, when we were kids in the 90s and so, you know, it was all about recycling. That was the big message. I don't know how many pop cans we picked up out of roadside ditches with our classrooms, you know. <laughs> did you do that? Did you guys go and clean um, roadsides?
2: Yeah, that's how we got entry fees to go to rodeos when we were in Little Britches rodeos. We'd go pick up pop cans and take them to town and have entry fee money. <laughs>
1: you know, when I was in fourth grade, uh, our class for the entire year, we saved pop cans and beer cans and all sorts of aluminum. And that's how we paid for the, uh, the field trip to Rock Spring state 4-H center. And it was everybody in class pitched in some people's parents had more aluminum in their diets than others. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they were, it was kind of interesting to see what everybody had, but you know, today it seems like Earth Day, you know, they talk about the importance of of addressing climate change and and it just keeps growing bigger and bigger. And I look back at, at um one of the creators of Earth Day that I could find was was a Gaylord Nelson. He was a World War II vet and he was a governor out of um I wanna say Wisconsin. Let's see here. Yeah. So Gaylord Nelson was one of the founders of Earth Day, and he was steeped in Wisconsin's progressive heritage, New Deal liberalism. You know, he was he was a World War II vet that came home and he saw what we were doing to the environment. And he really started to put conservation measures in place when he became governor of Wisconsin. And then he got to the Senate. And he started creating green, you know, started talking about creating green jobs and all of this, but he had some bipartisan support. And I thought that was really important, That it started out as a bipartisan people across the aisle. Both had some, you know, skin in the game because everybody lives on the same planet. You know, I think today it's uh, today it's much more different. It's much more divisive than of a topic. But at the end of the day, we all want clean water. We don't want the Cuyahoga to, to burn. We we want clean air. We're doing the best that we can to be stewards of it and still manage that we have created jobs, still manage that industry can keep going, that we can keep farming. Um, you know, I, I always looked at what my dad did on the farm and ranch and, you know, everything has a balance. You have to have a balance. You can't go one way extreme or the other. And, and I hope that maybe the earth day at this at earth day, 60, you know, in 10 years or so, we, we realize that there's a, a pendulum a, or a, a swinging point. I don't know. I just, uh, you know, I always pause and think about what I'm doing in my own little neck of the woods and, and how I can be resourceful that way. And you and, and your family, you guys are stewards of of land here in Kansas, right?
2: Yeah, we have pasture land here in in Ford County and in Clark County and we try to do our best to manage it the right way. It's hard sometimes when you you need a certain stocking rate and the, the grass isn't there, but you know, you just have to do what you're, you're the hand you're dealt with.
1: Mhm. Well, and, and it's the grass, it's the water resource, it's the soil resource, it's, you know, making sure that you're, you're good neighbors. I think that's the the important part. You know, people look at our, at our plants out this direction and um, all of our food processing and things, and they think they see big clouds of stuff coming out of stacks at certain places. They don't understand that's not air pollution, that's steam, <laughs> You know, Um, we have done so much to put scrubbers on things and, and to really, you know, once you show people that there's a better, cleaner way to do something, as long as they can figure out how to keep the, how to keep it from taking all of the profit, they're more than open to doing it. It's, it makes sense. We all live on the same blue little tiny planet. So I don't know about tiny planet,
2: but. Yes, we all live on the, the same place.
1: <laughs> well, in the grand scheme of things, we are a very tiny little planet. <laughs> and uh, let's see, there's um, there's another anniversary kind of closer to home, right, Kayleen?
2: Yeah, I saw on social media this morning that today's the anniversary of the Oklahoma land run, uh, 121 years.
1: That is really cool. I hope we're not going to play Boomer sooner.
2: I hope not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So today there's also the anniversary of the, the Oklahoma land run, like you said. Um, you, you looked this up, and, and you went to school at Oklahoma State, so you're a little bit more familiar with the land run and, and things, and you guys kind of farm close to the, the border. What, what does that mean to you?
2: Well, I think it's kind of neat that somebody back 120 years ago was able to claim a piece of land and homestead there and live there for five years, and then they would be free and clear. Mm-hmm. If that was the case now, I would do that in a heartbeat, because <laughs> I, I know what land costs and surveys cost. And yeah, it sounds awfully appealing right now, looking staring down a, a land payment note at the end of the year.
1: Mm-hmm. So for those of y'all that are listening that aren't familiar with the Oklahoma land run, what, what exactly did that entail? I mean, you know, we all... Uh, I think we all have that vision of our heads of, you know, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman in that movie and, uh, you know, Irish people running for land. But really, what did you what what did you learn about it?
2: The Oklahoma Historical Society had a page on their website that explained it a little further. And it said in, on April 22nd, 1889, settlers flooded into the region of central Oklahoma, known as the Unassigned Lands President Benjamin Harrison had signed a proclamation March 23rd, 1889, opening the land, and people came from all across the country to claim it. And then they had the Homestead Act of 1862, which, like I said, you could stay on it for five years, and it was yours, free and clear.
1: Mm-hmm. And there was a
2: lot of people that, that headed that way to the Oklahoma Territory.
1: You know, it was really critical for a lot of those immigrants coming from Europe and and... um parts of, of, uh, the Asian continent, uh, from Europe, Russia, that part of the world, because land was something that you did not own. You farmed it for somebody else. Uh-huh. And to come to the United States and have an opportunity to have your own five acres and to have your wife's five acres and to build something at that era, that was, that was incredible. That was, that was something that they only dreamed of in in fairy tales you know that everything was owned by landed gentry and you didn't get to have your own piece of the pie you farmed for somebody else and your destiny was tied to their destiny um for for the people that were coming here for immigrants that that chanced the ocean crossing that got all the way to the middle of the united states from the from the shores of new york city And they made their way out here with their their buckboards and their covered wagons and whatever. They lined up on the on the border of Kansas and with a gunshot and cannons, they were off. And that's why we have the race. That's why you have the boomer sooner. It's because there were some people that were uh, that were Sooners. They crossed the line before it was open officially. You know, they they cheated. (laughs) I'm not saying that that's carried over into the big 12. <laughs> <laughs> They've just been cheaters from the get-go. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm so kidding. We're going to get cards and letters. No, but um, I, I find that fascinating. My family actually homesteaded right after the Homestead Act of 1862 Um, part of our legacy was we were some of the earliest homesteaders in the part of Kansas that was opened up right after Fort Riley was established. And I look at that and I look at the people that braved it and came out here and stuck a flag in the ground and said, this is what we're going to do. And they stuck through it. I mean, that was, we've got some tough times right now getting, you know, stay at home orders and that sort of thing trying to figure out how we're going to get groceries and, and what's available on the store shelves and this, that, and the other. Boy, howdy, they had it way worse than we did. Yeah. So, so uh, now you guys have some land down around the the border between Oklahoma and Kansas, right? Well,
2: we're in Clark County. We're in the northern part of Clark County. So it's not touching, touching the Oklahoma line, but... We're, we're closer to the Ford County line than we are the Oklahoma line.
1: I just, I think it took a special breed of people, don't you?
2: Yeah, and that, that landed on there. has been in the Scott family for over 100 years, and there's a Farm Bureau, Centennial Farm designation on it. It's it's amazing to see the history that, that was there and that is continuing.
1: Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's good to have some periods of normalcy, you know, in our in our world right now. Obviously, we're still in under stay-at-home orders and that got extended in Kansas until May 3rd now May May 15th. <laughs> um
2: Don't say May 15th. Yeah, May
1: 3rd. May 3rd. <laughs> May 3rd, May 3rd, not May 15th. <laughs> um I hope we're done before I I have my birthday cuz that would be a really great birthday president, Governor Kelly. <laughs> If we could yeah. if we could make sure that everybody, you know, I kind of feel like we've all been sent to our rooms and there's just one person that keeps, you know, going outside of their room and <laughs> breaking curfew. Yeah. No, no, we joke, we joke, but it's it's kind of been it's gotten a little bit serious in in our immediate neck of the woods, right, Kayleen, with with Dodge City's cases rising exponentially in the last week or so.
2: Yeah, I looked at right before we got on here, and it was 208 as of 11 o'clock this morning on April
1: 22nd. Yeah, and that was starting out. We had less than 10 a week ago, week and a half yeah. ago. So, what what's uh, the latest? You listened in on a a press conference from Governor Kelly and and Secretary of Agriculture Mike Beam, Kansas Secretary of Ag, Mike Beam. Uh, what did you learn?
2: It sounds like you know the spike in the numbers is coming from the ability to test people for this disease, and Kansas has gotten seven thousand tests that were earmarked specifically for Southwest Kansas um, and those places where there's large concentration of people and packing houses. and so they're designating areas like you know Finney County, which has to the the Tyson plant. Uh, Ford County has two plants. There's a plant in Seward County. And there's also one which is in Southwest Kansas in Lyons County mm-hmm. where Emporia is at. There's a Tyson plant over there. And obviously the high concentration of employees are going to, somebody's going to get sick and they're going to spread it all around. So mm-hmm. they want to be able to test those people.
1: Well, and it's it's important for people to understand that 25% of the nation's meat supply comes out of Kansas. It comes out of our yeah. Kansas plants. That's why when um, Tyson had its fire a year ago or so now, that's why it was so drastic that all of a sudden they had shut down. That caused some capacity backups. Now we're looking at we need to keep the plants going safely for the employees and their families and the communities that they live in and work in. Um, It's not so much that, well, Part of the situation, you're right, is they're standing next to each other on lines. They can't, you know, be six feet apart. You have to have the chain speeds. You have to, you know, you you can do as much as you can inside the plant, but you can't control what employees do when they come home. And many of them may have family members that they live with that are also essential workers in other areas of, of the community. They may work at Walmart. They may work at at a grocery store they may work in in a food service industry and they're coming into contact with people it's uh it's so many different points of contact and you can try to control what goes on in the plants you can try to educate but really it's a personal responsibility of making sure that you try to distance and and keep your germs to yourself as best as you can yeah
2: it really is and You know, Mike Beam said, the same thing. It's not a matter of controlling the employees while they're in the plant. It's a matter of making them aware of all the stuff they need to do at home. And if they are sick, to stay at home.
1: Yeah. Well, and with the number of tests that we have now earmarked, that can help us identify people that are asymptomatic, that may have it. They may not show that they have symptoms. They may not know that they should stay home because they don't have the sniffles. And and so... If we can test them and weed out the ones that are asymptomatic and help, you know, have them stay at home and, and work our way through that, we're one step closer to reopening up things. We have to have a way to be able to identify who's a carrier, who's got it, who's gotten it and gotten over it. We need so much more information and, and this thing is so new, we're we're just flying blind. Yeah,
2: and Kansas is the last in the nation as far as testing wellness goes. So.
1: Yeah, here's hoping that we can uh, keep those meat plants up and running. I saw in the news today that there was another plant in Iowa that just a pork plant in Iowa that shut down completely. Um, You know, we've had Smithfield up in South Dakota. That is a a CDC hotspot. Um, A lot of people don't understand. It's not that we can't raise the food on the farms it's not that they're trying to to you know be outrageous and raise prices at the farm level there's a whole slew of steps between the farm and and getting it on the retail shelves yeah and every single part of those has are are operated by people that can get sick and you know we have to it's a food security it's not a food safety issue it's a food security issue i think that's why kansas got 7000 tests because we want to keep the, the security on the shelves as best as we can. Right. Right. So what else is new? What else are you hearing out in the world? Uh, I don't know. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Trying yeah. to decide when ch- chance is going to come back in
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have to just, we, we roll with the punches. We've been doing this for, this is the fifth podcast now that we've done on totally by phone. Uh, I miss being in the studio with you, Kayleen. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, it's definitely different.
1: So we know that you guys are probably a little stir crazy too. So why don't you go ahead and drop us a line and, and let us know what the temperature is like in your neck of the woods. You can always uh, email us at hpjtalk at hpj.com or you can always call us at one 800 Four five two seven one seven one, and even if we're not in the office, they forward those calls, so we'll uh, we'll be sure and, and get those messages.
2: And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review.
1: So, in this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories that you might have missed in the April twentieth print edition. Uh, we'll have a chat with uh, Doctor R. C. Trotter, right, Kayleen?
2: Yeah, he's the physician advisor for the Fort County Health Department. He's a local uh, doctor in Dodge City.
1: Well, and he's also pretty knowledgeable uh, on the cowboy way of things because he is one of our chairs of our uh, of our rodeo committee here in town, right? Right. Um, it's always good to have Dr. Trotter around because he brings some good cowboy sense to things. And of course, Kayleen, she'll uh, bring us the latest on grain markets and we'll have those final thoughts. So we're all safe and sound here and we hope you are too. And we uh, just want to say thanks for riding along with us here on HPJ Talk. Our cover story this week, new technologies aimed to help with grass control in sorghum, was by Kayleen. So bringing herbicide tolerance to sorghum is something growers have been looking for for over two decades. And it's kind of like the Holy Grail if you were, right, Kayleen? Yeah.
2: And I spoke with Justin Weinheimer. He's the crop improvement director for the Sorghum Checkoff and the National Sorghum Producers. And he said this all kind of began in the early 2000s with universities and sorghum seed companies that were trying to bring products to the markets. Um, in the next couple of years, sorghum growers are going to have a few choices for technologies and post-emergent grass control. And those companies included Vanna and Alta, uh, s Seed and Adama, and Pioneer and Corteva all have seed and or herbicide products available that are begun- going to come to the marketplace at the beginning of this year.
1: And That reminds me, Kayleen, we'll be part uh we're working with Advanta and Alta to produce uh sorghum frontiers in uh, June, July, and August and or June, August, and September actually, and we're going to be able to debut their uh their platforms for some of their over the top weed control as far as their seed line and uh their technology line. I'm pretty excited to hear that. I, I think it's going to be a game changer for, for sorghum. And this trait, remind me, it's, it's, a, it's a naturally occurring trait that they discovered, right, Kayleen?
2: Yeah, each company has a certain thing that they are targeting, but it's, it's basically the same concept. They use the natural occurring traits and bred the different hybrids to express the certain things and allow the chemicals to
1: do their magic There you go. So it's not uh, like what we would traditionally think of as genetic modified, where we would, you know, splice in a gene that would provide that opportunity. This is they identified a gene that has this trait that carries the herbicide tolerance, and they bred specifically to improve the boost of that trait. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Kayleen, you also had a story on page three. USDA economist believes economy will get worse before it gets better. Uh, U.S. Department of Ag's chief economist, Robert Johansson, said when he was making presentations in February about the state of the farm economy, he saw more positives than negatives. But now, as it turns to April, he's not as sure, especially after the coronavirus pandemic has swept the country. Johansson said debt had been reaching historic levels, but interest rates remained low. This allowed more interest repayment capacity than last year the debt-to-asset ratio rose slightly to about 15%, but, quote, certainly below the levels that we saw back in the 1980s, end quote.
2: On the Opinions and Editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeyer's column, Disruptions Have Caused Difficulties, Need for Reform, he shares his thoughts on the Easter holiday and reminds readers to remain thankful even during these unprecedented times. Seymour clearly writes in the Washington Whispers column, Corona congressman about the number of congressmen affected by the coronavirus. And in a letter to the editor, Darvin Bentledge is a Barton County, Missouri cattle producer and Missouri Rural Crisis Center board member. He wrote a letter titled, Rural America's Crisis. Is anyone listening? The Missouri cattleman is concerned about the disparity between prices cattlemen receive for their cattle and the price the packers get. Contributor David Murray leads off the livestock section with his story, said meat delivery services do well in time of lockdown. Some specialty meat suppliers that do direct-to-retail business are finding that while the coronavirus takes away, takes away with one hand, it can give with the other. As more and more states and cities issue lockdown orders, restaurants are closing, disrupting farms that supply their food. But as consumers turn to specialty meat delivery services, some of the suppliers are finding their direct retail business is booming.
1: Elsewhere in the journal, there's a slate of stories covering the COVID-19 pandemic. Contributor David Murray also has a story about when oil demand and supply collide on page 7. Copy editor Jennifer Thurer has a story about how local hospitals are still essential on page 11. I have a story about milk dumping on page 33. And you can always read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the print High Plains Journal, or you can look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. You know, right now would be a great time to renew a subscription to High Plains Journal, too. HPJ knows that the future agriculturalists of tomorrow will need the resources of today. And that's why now through May 8th, High Plains Journal will be donating 25% of every subscription we sell to the state FFA program of your area. All you have to do is visit hpj.com or call our offices at one 800 452-7171 and tell the operator you want to take advantage of this offer.
2: As folks you'll see, we're running an early bird special discount on registration for our Cattle U and Trade Show July 29th and 30th in Dog City. Attendee registration is just $85 until April 30th and that increases to $135 on May 1. And for exhibitors, we have 20% off all booth spaces until April 30th. Don't miss your chance to join us at Cattle U. Visit www.cattleu.net.
1: If you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We sure want to hear from you.
2: here with HPJ Talk, and I have Dr. Trotter on the phone. He's the physician advisor for the Ford County Health Department here in Dodge City, Kansas. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Trotter.
0: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
2: So I hear you've had a a busy sort of couple of weeks. (laughs) Yes, it
0: has. It's uh, kind of a strange deal. We, you know, we knew what it was supposedly going on around and just people wonder why the big surge, we didn't have any test kits. So I found out the hospital had a bunch of test kits. So we started testing and everything exploded since then that there really was, you know, stuff around. And so we got after it and and now we're kind of going full bore. Uh, Now we've got, you know, the local health department has got the new Abbott machine, so they're getting geared up, and we're all just trying to get a handle on this situation.
2: Well, I listened to a call on Monday with the governor about how they've gotten 7,000 tests that are are pinpointed to go to here in southwest Kansas, and um, they were talking about the... (laughs) how the the meatpacking plants are obviously still running and how a lot of the employees there are potentially sick and some of those tests are going to go there. Is that that the right thing
0: to Yes, I I was in on a call like last Saturday by accident almost. But anyway, uh, yeah, they... The intent is since that's, you know, it's hitting those counties that have the beef packing. And so the intent is let's get in there and find out what's going on. So these new Abbott machines went to the county health departments in Seward, Finney, Ford and Lyon, and then we got 500 tests on the first day, and, yeah, there's, you know, like you say, several thousand more coming out. So we're trying to encourage the plant employees to go there so we can get same-day testing and we can say, no, you must go home and stay home, or, no, you can return to work. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're pushing for. Uh, it went very well yesterday at Ford County House, and, and they're gearing up. And they actually brought in extra staff. I assume from Topeka because you know, our staff now every one of these positives has to be contact traced. Well, now we're up to 180 and you know, our staff is trying to find out who are you with? What do you do? So they brought in staff to, to do the uh, testing. And if that, if they get into trouble there, our local hospital has technicians that are set to go and they could come out and help. So we will find the resources to, Take care of this problem.
2: I know I was reading some stuff that was saying that they're going to put up temporary housing uh, for some of these positive cases. Is that the case, or what's going on with that situation?
0: Uh, yeah, I read that in the paper too, and I, I, I hope it works. And I'll just, <laughs> uh, some of this will be culturally relevant. I mean, I know that the community college has opened some rooms for uh, first responders who had. You know, we're concerned of their exposure, and so the the college has opened up rooms for them. I just hope that that, that culturally these people can see that as we're not trying to, you know, do something bad to them. If yeah. we can find them places to go outside their own home, I just know that they're very much at home. But I mean, we're having trouble. When we tell people go home and stay home and don't go to do something, not, not just work. We've had other people go to a church gathering where we've told them, no, you go home and you stay home. And, and they went and it's like, no, you, you, now, you know, pretend, you know, we don't know this person's positive yet, but you could potentially get them and then your work. And so when we say go home, we mean go home. Yeah. and stay home and all the, you know, if we have tested you, we, we, we think you're a presumptive. You, it's called a PUI person of interest. And that means you stay home and everybody that lives with you stays home until we know. Yeah. Now, you know, the, the lab that we're using, it's pretty much a 48 hour deal. So unfortunately that's you know, what you have to do. The, the, port county health which is really and i want to tell people we're really concentrating on the beef industry right now to get a handle on that so we can keep that up and running both for those who produce the beef that goes to the plants and and then for the consumer so we don't start having runs on beef like we had on toilet paper yeah so so it's it's you know we just got to get out to get the testing figure out where it's going i would like to say i'm seeing a slight drop but I, I can't say that yet, you know, because it, it, it'll very much depend as we maybe change the demographics of the people we see because more from the planet are going out there. I, we'll, we'll see. we will just, we're technically, we're just about a week into this, but mm-hmm. like we started this a week ago. Yeah. And it's just exploded in us.
2: Well, I've noticed a lot of the, the packing plants are coming out and saying they're doing. Um, different things as far as protective equipment and the shields between employees, and even slowing yes. slowing the line down, is that something that is really helpful, or is it just for show? I mean, is it? Now, I is think it really
0: it's it's got to be helpful. I mean, I've been in these plants for off and on for thirty years. I, I you know, I've worked with them on a number of issues, and um, you know, I I can talk to Cargill particularly because I do their work comp, so I had I get checked going in just like everybody else. So they've done a real good job of checking you coming in. Now, unfortunately, and what I had to tell the KDHE just this week was forget that temperature number. That 100.3 is useless. Mm -hmm. None of our positives were at that level. They're always lower, so I said, "Get rid of that." I don't know who came up with it, but it's it's in Kansas, it doesn't work. <laughs> and plus, we know that people are taking Tylenol on the way in, so you're better off asking. Do you have a cough, fever, headache, backache, any of these other symptoms? Then you go get tested. That's the standard that we started with in terms of testing. We just lowered the bar right down to: you have some symptoms, yeah, you may be at a plant, but you don't have to be. You could be a spouse of something somebody to plant, but just... You know, it's it's headache, backache, uh, maybe a little nausea. That's all it takes for us, and we we still check the temperatures. They're 99, 99.9. 9. They're, they're not, you know. And of course, maybe they've been sitting in the car with the air conditioner. Yeah. If they're like me, when I go to cardio, I take my hat off, I take my coat off. I don't want <laughs> I've been sitting in a car, and yeah. uh, and I've learned not to drink coffee on my way to the nursing home. That's stupid because they're going to some of them check oral temperatures and so. <laughs> I had to spit the coffee out, and <laughs> so if you see me going down the road spitting out the window, it's because I'm going somewhere to get my temperature checked. <laughs> um, so you know, it's I think it really will. Yeah, so, if you've ever been to plant, yes, if you slow the line down, which I know they have. that... You shouldn't have as much coming through, mm-hmm. so that's going to help. I saw a picture, well, I was on the national news of how they put shielding. Yes, I think that will help. This is droplet spread, they put masks on everybody. You wear your mask to protect. The guy in front of you. Mm-hmm. Now, if the guy in front of you is really f- infected and doesn't have a mask, you're going to get his stuff whether you wear a mask or not. But yes. these cloth masks, yes, they do protect you from spreading to somebody else. So I'm going to, right here, everybody, I don't want to see you in Walmart without a mask on. <laughs> I don't want to see you anywhere. I know I was a late adopter until our numbers blew up. Mm-hmm. And then I said, look, I've got a model. Now, mine's a bandana with a cowboy hat so yes it looks like i'm coming in to rob you but you know get something on your face yeah just because you're we've got to get this tamp down we, we it's real it's not fake news but please put something on I, i've had a conversation with walmart and i think they're all their employees are putting them on now and and, and i know everybody you know we haven't had any deaths we've only had the one hospital admission and that came from oregon mm-hmm. so i look like new york but we could
2: yeah and you know dodge is a pretty decent sized town for this area and yes yes what about concerns as far as the smaller facilities go in like Cimarron or jetmore or kinsley or even minneola are they what should they be thinking uh, they're of? at risk i have a, i've had conversations with a a, a gal
0: of, well she's a pediatrician dr Christy Clark up in Jetmore, but she's also a trained epidemiologist. And so we were having a conversation last Saturday, too. Well, and the, what the problem is a lot of people that live in the small towns work in Dodge. We've known that forever, mm-hmm. that what's keeping the Cimarron's and the Jetmores and the Mineolas and the Spearvilles alive is you're within driving distance of Dodge. And so people like to live in the small towns, which is fine. And then you drive over here to work. That that's, that's common. So, you know, so these people who might be working working down here are going to take it back there. And yeah. and I've been talking to Dr. Clark. You know, she's got issues in her hospital because some of her employees are married to people that work. And, and so she's worried about contact there. And so she's struggling with staffing issues in Jetmore simply because of you know, close proximity to Dot City. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, we've had some other smaller entities in town that have had some exposure early on because before we knew that gee, if you come back from texas and you went to a big meeting you probably shouldn't go to a big meeting at your plant for a while till you know and since we had no way of testing so it's those kinds of things you you know you, you need to you know the you know need to watch this stuff it, it's it can be in the, and that's why i'm i'm concerned watching that we're going to have some bleed from the plants as we get what we call crossover into other industries as somebody who works in the plant now the wife or husband works at another plant and we can start you know getting that crossover Mm -hmm. so uh i I think you know some places may say they've hit their surge i'm and i'm not much of a doomsday person listen people out there i'm not a but i can see these numbers and we need to listen to these numbers i'm kind of a late adopter on all of this but it it's here so you know do what we've asked yeah stay home wear your mask go i mean i'm seeing tons of people out walking that's awesome now, you know, they're out with their kids and they're going for walks and they're riding a bicycle and that's fine. Go do it. You know, yeah. just, you know, if you come up upon another person, maybe scoot over to the side. I've seen several times where, you know, people are approaching. And so one steps out and goes out in the street and goes around. And I think that's just awesome. Yeah. That's showing respect yes, for the other is. person. They don't know you and you don't know them. So show them some respect.
2: Yeah. Now let's kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, you know the ag world the farmers and ranchers have had a really tough year and are already you know seeing impacts to their bottom lines and mental health has been tough in ag what is what does it do with this pandemic on top of it i mean the healthcare people are going to be facing mental health issues and what can you can you talk a little bit about that
0: <laughs> I've thought about it a lot. I mean, uh, you know, luckily again, we haven't had lots of deaths in this area. But mm-hmm. yes, I, I, you know, I. If you all don't know, yeah, I grew up in small towns, and all all my work was ag. I mean, I drove tractors and worked in grain elevators, and no, I didn't run cattle or stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I've been part of all that forever, and so. I understand it enough to know and, and uh, yeah, I, I can see, you know, as I was listening to an interview with a, a, a cattle producer just the other night on TV, yeah, if we slow down the lines, we slow down the the need for beef and yeah, you can feed them for a while longer, but then that's going to increase your cost, which you're going to have to pass on to the, the packer who's going to pass it on to the grocer. So, you know, it is a trickle-down effect. I, uh, I, I think the only thing I could assure those out in the beef world, just just hang in here. We're doing okay. We're we're not New York. Uh, I can't I can't predict when this is going to pass, but you know I think we'll be back on track. Yes, a lot of things will change. In terms of maybe, you know, I'm thinking rodeo. How can I put on a rodeo safely? Actually, I've been in conversations with the PRCA with my medical expertise, talking to them about how things could be done differently with contestants, at least in the short run and maybe in the long run. Mm -hmm. I worry about the healthcare workers in, in New York. I, I've almost been in those situations, not quite as bad, but when we were residents, we were we were the primary docs for most people in these hospitals. They just turned us loose because we're old farm kids and we knew what we were doing. And, and have to sat with people who died. Now, usually we're able to have family there, but I did have a kind of an epidemic. I was part of where we brought people in, diagnosed them, and said, well, he's not in a coma, take him home. I don't have room for him and bring him back. And so I, I kind of know that scenario. And I really feel for those people because a lot of them will be the only person sitting with somebody who dies because the family can't be there. Mm-hmm. So and yes, I feel for the producers, you know, just, just hang in there. Um, excuse me nothing's worth dying over yeah Uh, how's
2: the how's the pulse in your office is everybody staying positive
0: actually it's we're pumped i mean it has been it's a challenge but the teamwork that's going on just blows me away it just, because uh, it has to start clear up at the front. Mm-hmm. Those girls have to take the phone call. They have to listen to their symptoms and say, okay, you're not coming in the front door. Mm-hmm. we got to protect this place. And so you're going to be seen out behind in, in, in parking lot one. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they do. And then they got to pass that information and get that demographics and get that history to the nurse and I, and and then we go out and talk to them and get the sample and stuff and check their temp. And then that's got to flow back into lab. And when you're doing, you know, we did 26 of these the other, you know, I think on Monday here, Dr. Uh, Presley and Dr. Conat both just were car hops, mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's a lot to, to run through the lab and to get, you know, the, the right requisition attached to the right tube. And, and then when all of that comes back, we've got to call all those people back, either positive or negative, get all those results to our local health department, which then forwards them up to uh, the state. So I've just been really, impressed it, it it's it's like any other crisis it kind of tends to bring you together yeah and I, I they're just they're doing an awesome job i know dr Moffat across the street with dr williams are doing the same things uh, the hospital has a system for testing if people want to use it i mm-hmm. mean they, they're going to run you through the ambulance bay but um we're all on the one hand, we're trying to protect the integrity of our offices because we're still seeing, I mean, I saw patient, regular patient's this morning that needed to be seen. Mm-hmm. Healthcare doesn't go away. No. And then this afternoon's my day to, to gear up in the funky suit and go outside and see people. And, uh, so we're just, it hasn't, I, I mean, I think some point here we'll get a little tired of it. We're all saying <laughs> I'll be glad when it quits. We can go yeah. back to normal, but, <laughs> but the, the mood in the office is good they're all everybody just jumps in and, and finds their spot and, and and does their job and so i think it's it's not that we work together but it really makes us all come together
2: yeah that that sounds really good my my family doctor's there with you guys and they're always okay. such professional people and they do what they need to do and get the job done and yeah we appreciate that so well i i don't so have, I any, think... have any more questions
0: okay. So just to ask everybody, stay home, stay safe. Uh, the, 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 rules that have come down are reasonably scientific in terms of what you need to do. And yeah, you got to go out and do some things. And I do know a lot of the hardware stores are doing a, a big business. <laughs> People are at home. They got yes. work to do. Yes. So put on your mask, go get your stuff, go home, fix the house up, go for a walk, uh, call your friends. Don't invite them over for dinner. Uh, stuff like that we'll have time to do that later
2: yes we will all right well all right. you stay safe thank you thank you your grain market prices from dodd city's pride egg resources on april 14th corn was down at three dollars and 16 cents wheat was up at four dollars and 41 cents Milo was up at $3.06, and soybeans were down at $7.52. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, up. Simply select the topics that interest you, and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email.
1: Be sure to watch for the irrigation issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes April 27th with a story from Dave Bergmeier. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com.
2: Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line
1: at our email, hbjtalk.hbj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail.